What's up, party people? Episode 40 of this eSports Life. It is a solo episode. We don't have Squeaksy here. He is out with his family visiting Canada. He's going to Vancouver to hang out with his family. And so it's just uh, me and you guys. Today, I wanted to spend an hour talking about uh, and responding to questions we got on Twitter. We got some great questions. And um, also just go on a, a bit of a rant like to start things off. Uh, there, there's just something interesting that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I've been waiting these last few days to do a contract for a company to make some videos. And in that time, I've like been in my room kind of waiting day by day to do this contract because I've got uh, a certain amount of time off this month, this month, which is good and bad. Like it feels weird not going to events, but at the same time, I have time for other things that I want to do. Um, and I can also just, you know, spend more time with my friends and stuff like that, which is always good. Um, but, uh, I, with this time waiting for the contract, I'm like, I need to figure out, uh, when this is going to happen and then plan it all out. But I don't want to start work until I get the contract. So in these last few days, I've been kind of sitting here and then I've been like exercising a lot and then filling my day with activities and getting back to people I don't normally talk to and thinking, how's the best way I can spend my time while I kind of wait, uh, to start doing work. Cause I've got nothing else to, to really do. And some days I'm like, I could stream, but I don't want the whole day to go to a stream, especially if I could be putting my time in different places. And sometimes the stream kind of eats up your, my whole day. And on the list of priorities for me, like my stream is not uh, a, like a long time goal or even like a, a multi-month goal. It's something I consider leisure time. It's something I do for fun. It's not something I try particularly hard at. It's something I do to spend time with fans, to spend time with friends, to play games I want and uh, to keep myself entertained as well as, you know, the people who want to be there. But it's not a goal of mine to have a big stream. And I, I recognize that in my life. So I don't want to get into a rhythm where I commit time to streaming uh, when I could be doing something else. But in that process of thinking about what are the other things I can do, I end up like finding myself sitting there, you know, like just sitting there. And that's not good. So I've just been, I've been like in days going to the gym three or four times a day, going out, getting groceries, cooking some stuff, which is something I can only do when I'm home, which is good. But there's also this, uh, this kind of uh, zone that I get into that I don't know how to spend my time best. I know I could be spending it more, uh, spending it better. And the irony of that is like, I could have streamed on these last few days, right? I could have. I could have just streamed and that would have been a more productive day than anything else I did on those two days. But because I've been so focused on this like greater goal at hand to do things optimally to kind of most best prepare myself for the next few months, the irony is that I, I've wasted more time in doing that. And I feel like a lot of people get in that rhythm in life. This idea of not having enough time uh, is is so funny because it's it's so funny because of two things. It's it's funny because it's ironic because when you feel like you don't have enough time, you feel defeated, you feel deflated, you feel unmotivated for whatever that's worth. You think, oh, I don't have passion. Oh, I don't have the ability to gather the energy to try stuff, whatever. Um, and then you and then you also and then you end up wasting more time than anyone else. And then the other funny thing is that. If you didn't have those thoughts at all, you simply took it day by day and you just tried stuff, you'd be ahead of everybody else, almost everybody else. Sometimes I look back on like the last four years and I'm like, man, I tried a whole bunch of things and none of those things seemed particularly hard. And I got good at a few of those things. I think I got particularly good at making YouTube videos. I think I got good at doing interviews. I think I'm getting good at doing casting now and all of these things. Um, and and in retrospect, and when you go, you know, kind of high overview of everything, it looks like a lot. But to me, it looks like I could have done so much more. And I think it's partly due to, you know, the more you get used to exercising that muscle of trying new things, then the easier those things become to do. But then as you do that, as those muscles become well-oiled and can be, can be, can go to work all the time, the more you feel like you could have done before. And I, I'm sure a lot of people are in a rut where they feel like they can't get off the ground. They can't try something new. It really doesn't cost you anything. And I, I know this is kind of like, it's almost cliche advice, but you know, the, the hardest part is the first step. I just, 
I want people to remember that like, you know, I'm 28. I feel like I can do more things than I ever could. And I feel like I wasted so much time in the past. Yet I'm sure some people look at my quote unquote career and say, wow, I wish I did all those things. I have no idea how to start that. I mean, I don't have any particularly special knowledge. You know, I'm a, 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 a university flunk, flunk out. I was never qualified to be a caster when I started casting. I didn't go to broadcast school. I didn't go to interview school or, or whatever it was, right? When I started making YouTube videos, I just tried it. And, um, and again, like to just give it a shot puts you so far ahead of the pack. I think at the very least, and, and I'm not sure how many people this applies to, but I'm sure there's a certain amount of people that just want to be able to say they've done more than somebody else that they know, or they've done more than somebody they look up to. And I'm telling you, it's super easy. I'm telling you, it's hella easy. I, I just, I don't want people to have that conversation with they, that they don't have enough time. I mean, I hear people talking about like in their early 20s, they don't have enough time. They're running out of time. They're out of school. They can't get a job. That's all bullshit, dude. That's all bullshit. You can do so much in such a short period of time. And once you get going, you'll realize that. So just, you know, don't don't think too hard about that. I don't I, I hate I hate hearing that conversation and um I don't even look at myself as somebody who's done a ton. So if you're somebody who's like, Oh, I don't know how to get into esports or something like that, and then you're like, Well, he launders has like got a head start, he's done all this stuff. It's not that much stuff. And let's say you, you came in more motivated at the beginning and had a better work ethic than I did. You could do everything I did in a couple of years if you wanted to. So food for thought, I suppose. But something that was just on my mind, I, I really don't want that to be this recurring conversation that I keep hearing people have. Um, I think it's good to, good to always you know remind yourself. Today, or well, like this month, again, I've got like a big... Uh, I've got like a big uh, amount of work actually for the next three months. It's maybe signed on to do like 25 videos for a uh, game. I can't actually like release the details yet, but it's a pretty big project for Nathan and I. So we're kind of waiting on that. We've got boxer clothes coming. We've got a collection we did with an artist that does street art and he used to play Counter-Strike and he has designed a bunch of stuff. We have original paintings done. We've got a few pieces of clothing that like the concepts are done. They're going to get printed soon. Those will be out soon. Uh, apart from that, I am in this like limbo where I'm waiting to go cast again. My next event is Blast LA and that's a long, long ways away. It's like July 11th and it feels hella weird to not be doing anything in June. And I'm actually kind of worried because I, I don't even know if we're going to be doing the, uh, Star Ladder Miners, we haven't been reached out to do the miners. And we kind of thought that that was a kind of a given just because they used uh, Harry Hugo, myself, and Connor to do the uh, Star series in Shanghai like a couple months ago. So it felt like that was like their test major, but I haven't heard anything recently. And, you know, not doing the miners is, apart from just like being a part of the major circuit, is just, you know, a big amount of money. It's also a, a time period where other events are probably not going to pop up. And this actually feels like the biggest kind of drought in events that I've had, at least since coming back in September, where we really just hit the ground running. I feel like, you know, we got the Blast Istanbul final. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful to Blast, by the way. I'll talk more about, talk about them more in a second. Um, but, you know, we've done a couple of finals with them. We did a bunch of events. We did the Star Series, like I said. We did the uh, Miners for Katowice, which I thought went fantastically well. I really enjoyed that. I think we had a great time. Um, but now like the last year, June, to put it in retrospect, I think it was six events I had to turn down because of my visa and I couldn't leave the U S. So I had this expectation that, that I would be able to do those events now. Um, one was star series back then there was, I got invited to do uh, ECS Cancun as an analyst. Uh, I think I was invited to Bella Horizonte, Bella Horizonte as an analyst, which I couldn't go to. Uh, there was DreamHack something dreamhack summer something like that there's a there's a few events so now those are coming through um unfortunately not doing dreamhack uh summer for the first time in a long time it feels kind of weird man it's you know not not a good feeling to be honest um your eyes only get wider obviously the more you do and i hope that turns around i feel like my castings get into a point where i can listen to it and i really enjoy it and i do have i have my off days but i think in overall my you know I've been very focused about improving and I think I'm seeing the improvements I want after all these years. 
So I hope now is not the time where, you know, things start to fall off. That would be um, more than a shame. But all that being said, yeah, looking forward to Blast LA still. And uh, hopefully miners come through. Um, I've got a road trip planned. We're going to do a West Coast road trip across Canada in August, from August 1st to the 20th. Uh, and it was set to be in between the minors and the major, just in case, you know. And it's where we'd basically drive from Toronto. It's my friends that before I went to Yahoo, I went on an East Coast road trip with them. And our goal is to just explore every inch of Canada, basically. So we're going to drive over to BC, to Banff, drive north in BC, and and really explore everything and get to know our country. And I got to say, I have I this, this playoffs with the Raptors just really reminded me how much I love sports, just how much it brings everything together. And a small point to that, there's nothing like sports, you know. People talk about, oh, sports athletes get paid so much. When they get paid, they get paid in relation to the amount of money they generate, you know. They probably don't get paid enough, um, even though they get paid millions and millions of dollars in some sense, right? You have to assume that somebody is taking advantage of them somewhere along the line. And, And just to think about a world without sports, one where... People couldn't like band together and get that positive energy going and yell about something that doesn't have any real negative consequences. You know, if a team, if sports are a simulation of war, if a team wins and, they, and a team loses, it feels like the it feels like the end of the world or the rebirth of Christ. You know, it's like the biggest deal in some way or another, and that's such a magical thing. The amount of money that moves with sports between cities, uh, the way it brings people together, people hugging each other, crying. Like, you can't have that without sports, this kind of simulated way of releasing all of this energy. And on the microscopic level of the players, when you think about everything else, the players are just so, there's just so few of them. But on that level, the people who get involved and try to become, you know, pro athletes or pro esports players, this element of competition that's in their blood, uh, that, kind of flows through them that they they could you could never take it away from them and, and we all know that it's it's something special it's crazy to see it harnessed and it's also something where i always think man if these guys didn't have sports and they had that competitive drive and this kind of anger and thirst and will and they weren't able to unleash it in this kind of simulated experience that was sports i imagine that would, that would only mean that they would end up in a bad place in life i mean I do think that their skills can be transferable to other things that can make them really good at business or, you know, moving up or working hard or being excellent. And I think that's a, a, a quality that carries over. But I think some of them, you know, they, they want to be physical specifically. And it's not like you're going to make money just being a physical beast for no reason. You've got to be in a competition in some way. And I just think that's a very magical and special thing. And I, in particular, fell in love with esports because I felt like, it was for all of those kids who have the same competitive drive. I think it's the same, like identical to those in sports, but they don't have the physicality. You know, like if you're not tall, you can't play basketball. Unfortunate, but that's the lay of the land. And if you're, you know, you've got a, you've got a full second reaction time, maybe you're not going to be able to play esports. There's different things that maybe other people wouldn't have that esports people have, but it's another outlet, a way for these people who have this drive to make money to legitimize their lifestyle to legitimize what they're passionate about and you it's completely unique and it's uh it's insane it's insane it's you know sports the only thing keeping regular cable tv alive Uh, think about how crazy that is uh live sports are so are thriving um and they just uh and and they connect people internationally it's just it's just it's just so magical and it's unlike anything else i've got on on the topic of esports i've got a couple of esports and fitness, I guess. We've got a couple of esports questions. Jari underscore R6 asked, are mobile games like Clash Royale considered esports? I'm personally against it. Uh, thanks for the question, Jari. I understand why some people might be personally against a game like Clash Royale that's in a mobile phone. I can't, I can't, I can't lie when I saw that they had Clash Royale players in a team house with iPhones that I did get a little pissed off. When I, when I saw that, I was like, this is, are we crossing a line here? But then you think, again, you know, just because you don't understand it, just because you don't see the uh, the value to society of paying a sports professional or esports professional a ton of money, what they have is a result of the money that's being generated. 
right? Like Clash Royale's going to be huge no matter what. There, I think the first kind of esport to have a a uh, Super Bowl commercial. You know, that's just to give you an example. Phone games make more money than anybody else. They're super accessible. Everyone's got to have a phone, whether they like games or not. And uh, those are very easy to run games. And 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 so it's going to be big. And there's money there. And there's a lot. It's probably competitive. There's a lot of people. I don't understand it, but we don't want to be like our parents. Our parents don't understand esports. And just because we do doesn't make a phone game any less legitimate. I think you've got to at least have some humility. And I'm not calling you out specifically, but we collectively have to have some humility when it comes to things that have that are maybe a product of what we are interested in, you know, because we've brought up esports and we're there at the beginning of esports, for that to evolve into a generation of phone games shouldn't be a completely alien concept. We should have seen that coming, you know, something that go takes it over the line even further uh, to a point where we don't understand it. But can you sit back and say, "All right, I don't understand it, but." At least I get that I was underappreciated. I was misunderstood when I started playing my games, you know? And the other fact that it doesn't matter to you if something you think is an, is an eSport isn't an eSport or is, whatever it is. If they're making money, that's not money out of your pocket or your game or it's not viewership that you would get, right? People complain about titty streamers. It's like, bro, those viewers are not coming to you just because the girl's not streaming on Twitch, you know? They can go to another website and watch stuff like that if they want to, or they can find somebody else that's riding the line a little bit better, you know, that, or whatever the f- case may be. It's, uh, it's pointless to complain or to care as much, and it probably would do everyone a lot of good if we stood together with people that are kind of as marginalized as we were just a couple of years ago, guys. Let's not forget. Um, Dr. Disrespect tweeted out, uh, mobile gamers aren't real gamers, and I tweeted you know, in response to that, how quickly we become our parents, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's not good. It's not good. Thanks for the question, Jari. Riles R, it's another question here, asks why the last, it's ho- uh, hosting a tournament in a furniture store. Um, okay, let me talk on Blast for a second. Uh, they, Blast are a great team. They're this, these guys, I mean, they run these tournaments and there's a lot of hate on them. And I think, you know, some people are maybe have personal vendettas against them or people want to hate them or the legitimate kind of arguments against them are getting mixed in with the not so legitimate arguments that just creates this firestorm. And I think some people are genuinely confused. Like, I don't even hate it that much, but I'm so I'm wondering why everyone hates it so much. And I think that's a reasonable way to be. Um I think the conflict of interest thing is is is, a, is, a, is something that you can't ignore. You know, if there's conflict of interest, people can argue against your intentions. I don't think anybody thinks Zonic is a bad person, a liar, anything but an upstanding player, representative of his team of Denmark, of Counter-Strike, uh, somebody who's dedicated himself to winning and not really thinking about other things. Um, and yet, you know, because of this, this Astral, this association, and um, Refresh Association, he gets you can you can still kind of attack him and and see as see what he says as being disingenuous because of his affiliations and that's the problems with that's the problem with conflict of interest and that is totally legitimate you know that's fair that's fair that's what conflict of interest is if it exists then it can't be ignored and unfortunately that's the way it is i can only say from my personal experience people ask me why you still work at blast number 1 blast took a chance on us you know i I just, I seriously am just like loyal to them. They back in, we got the contract for the first three Blast Pro series as Connor and I after CS Summit last year. While I was still in the US, while I hadn't casted for a long time, they reached out to, to myself and I did the CS Summit and they reached out like right after. I assume they liked that and they said, hey, you want to come on for the first three CS Summits? Man, Blast has so much money. They could do whatever they want. They could hire whoever they wanted to. They took a huge risk on us. And that was the first thing I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, I love these guys. This is great. We get to be a part of a a really high profile circuit. Maybe this leads to bigger things in the future. And it probably did. And um, that's, you know, my personal, that's my personal start with Blast. So I probably am going to be a little bit biased, but I haven't, from any of us who who are consistently working at the events, we love the team. They're smart guys, you know, like Nicholas is an old 1.6 player. He knows a lot of the guys 
um, who are still in the scene today from back then. And for a lot of the people at Blast, they don't really see themselves as a company that works for Refresh. They do Blast. That's, that's why it feel that's why it feels like when they talk about it that Blast are confused why everyone's upset and Astralis are confused why everyone's upset. Astralis don't look at themselves as Blast and Blast don't look at themselves as Refresh. That's the way it is. And that they're, you know, who knows? And because there is that conflict of interest that refreshes pulling the strings, that there's always the thought that maybe they can um, kind of reach down and have influence, that that is, uh, that's, that's a problem and a concern and that's fair. But from my personal experience, if I ever thought that um, the people I worked for, you know, were being kind of persuaded to do things, unsavory things and make the make the tournaments illegitimate you know like hook a straws players up with stuff and whatever or feed us false narratives or tell us to focus on them or whatever it is you know if i ever felt like that it wouldn't work with them anymore and not none of us would at all ever they know that we know that there has to be there's a they i think they know that there's a lot of trust involved there's 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 a lot that they have to do to earn our trust as talent because we can go and cry on Twitter, we can, you know, make videos and stuff like that. We have a lot of power as kind of um, as as influencers, you know, like we we can do a lot to tarnish their relationship um, with the community. So I think that you know there's incentive for them to actually try hard to not do that, to to you know to try to run just the tournament. And I think for refresh, they just want to make money, um, but it again like it, it comes down to trust for me i these guys to me they're they're geniuses like i don't even know how else to put it when we do a uh every blast we do a uh, a media day uh meeting it's like an hour long and nicholas s trip who had a pro who's head of product uh who might have a different title now he takes us through what blast wants to do what the whole year is going to look like what this tournament looks like how they got how many people are going to be in the seats what the show is going to look like it's a level of, of professionalism that we i've never been exposed to i'll be honest i've never seen an event do that and do it so consistently and then act on feedback every single time i submit a page two pages of feedback every single time we finish an event and they come through and they read it and then they change stuff for the next event and honestly sometimes i feel dumb because I'll have I'll hear ideas from them and my only goal is to shoot holes in those ideas so that they can become stronger and sometimes I can't think of better ways for them to execute on those ideas. They come up with stuff that I wouldn't think of and I think it shows just how much how hard they're working and I, I think it shows in the events. Um and to your question, Riles, why Blast is holding a tournament in a furniture store? We just had a meeting uh yesterday where they Nicholas talked to us over Google Hangouts and he explained the furniture store quote unquote you go on google maps you look it up it's a furniture store i thought the same thing um and it's 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 a venue that's been repurposed and it's got a great look and blast is just going to have it be an event and i don't know if this is a leak but like i saw it, uh, nicholas posted on twitter he was at cs summit which is in uh, california like a couple weeks ago and i i don't know what he did actually i have no idea i only got to say hi i was working and then he left but um, I can only imagine he went there to talk to them to kind of to get some ideas potentially maybe work with them I don't know but they they're going to be doing stuff uh, that kind of is a careful balance between what they used to do and what they're um, and, and like maybe a CS summit I can't give out details but uh, the the ideas for the venue is going to be pretty unique honestly the the level of fan interaction if you're buying tickets is going to be on a different level from any normal events, any other any other kind of event in CS, to be honest. Like, it, at a summit, you can't, a, the fans can't go. So this is kind of like a summit that fans could go to, and there's going to be a lot, like, fans are going to be very close to everything, whether it's casters, players. Um, you're going to be able to see the guts of the tournament. And they talked us through it and showed us the concept, and I thought it was all fantastic, and it was all very unique. And I think um, the... You know, them having that happen with, I don't know why they move venues and that was not a good thing that, you know, the prices went up and the amount of attendance went down and they just fixed part of the format to add semis uh, because of the community reaction to kind of all the drama and all the piling on. But 
I don't know anything about that, to be honest. I don't, you know, that sucks. I, I would have hoped they'd handled that better, I suppose, but that's, you know, that's what happened. I'm sure they uh, tried to do everything to avoid that because they're not dumb. They know how bad it would look uh, f- to have that heat on them after, you know, in this PR nightmare uh, right now. But it, it's going to be cool, I think, actually. It's going to be really cool. Um, so hopefully the event justifies the price. But from what we saw, very detailed view of what was going to what was what the event was going to look like and it looked re- re- really interesting very unique so we'll see we'll see but um yeah I, I i hope with stuff with blast blows over just love everybody there they're so smart they're so kind they you know when we asked for rates they paid us more than we asked for um they pay us to compensate for the fact that it's only a two-day event players are always really happy i think the only thing players mainly didn't like was the um, but a lot of players tweeted, even PETA's tweeted, like, you know, this is great for in terms of hospitality and stuff like that. You know, Blast always puts out some great hotels and and everything. And um, I think the main thing people unanimously didn't like was the format. And I can understand that. I didn't like it either. And we actually had a whole meeting about that too. And they went ahead and made some changes. And next year they'll make even more changes. Um, but I didn't even think they would make them this soon. But anyways, thank you for the question, Ralzar. At Statsa TV, esport money in relation to esports fan bases slash viewership with specific focus on CS high number viewership and and low prize pools. So this is an interesting and really big question. Um, this would be an interesting question for I think Squeaks to maybe answer or pick apart further in the next podcast. But I think there's just something so interesting about how the prize pools have anything to do with anything. You know, like sometimes I do an event, I don't even know what the prize pool is, or I can't remember. We never reference it. Go through the whole event cast. It's about winning the event. You know, these teams get paid like fifteen to $30,000 a month per player, plus sponsorship deals, plus everything else, and, and their streams and whatever. And this the money they win at the events is like, take a hundred grand, split it in five for a dream hack, or... 250k it's just not that much i think in total it it adds up to a lot um and some of the prize pools do get a lot higher for the bigger tournaments but sometimes i wonder like you know it's sometimes i wonder how much it matters to the viewers i know i guess if you're the one putting the money in your pocket you're thinking about getting second place as opposed to third and that's part of it but uh i think i don't know you i feel like you're making a lot of money uh if you're a top team you're getting invites for getting higher placings as opposed to the more uh, more prize money. And I, I feel like to the viewers, they kind of want justice for the people they're fans of. But do they actually care how much money is on the line? Uh, I don't, there's not even, you know, it's like you get paid an, an insane amount of money in like the NBA to play basketball, but you don't win money for winning. You win You win glory. And that's kind of what it's supposed to be about and maybe we get there eventually, but it's just, it feels weird because it feels like low prize pools is good because that adds kind of more strength to the scene because events stop operating at a deficit. And because the orgs are paying players and monetizing their players, the players are making money and maybe we can have a longer run at this. It feels like I I don't understand. I think maybe if anything, you know, Valve should be handing out a bit more money because they're they're the ones raking in so much from everything uh, CS related, and they don't even do kind of cases to try to get money from the community. It just feels like there's so much pressure on events to put up bigger amounts of money, but none of them are making money. And so, I I people think that people think that that will happen forever because they're not on the other side of it, right? I think before 2008, everyone thought the market wasn't the market was never going to crash, and then suddenly people's lives were ruined. That can happen, and that probably something like that will happen at some point. I mean, history will tell you. And so, I think you know, people being really obsessed about prize pools is kind of it's kind of scary, and it's kind of scary to see the amount of pressure being put on these events to have so much so, such high prize pools. And then to look at other games where developers are shelling out millions and millions and millions of dollars. I mean, even in Dota, we're being compared to Dota. When Valve is taking that money from the community, probably putting up some themselves, running the tournament themselves, and so they take onus for it. But we don't have that infrastructure. It's not the same. It's literally like Star Ladder, ESL, DreamHack, Blast, like just taking 
$250,000 or a million dollars out of their own pocket to run an event that was already going to lose money. And they make they make money on sponsors and stuff like that, but they almost never make a profit. If you run a major, you lose a lot of money. And so I don't know who's getting hurt by lowering the spot, lowering the amount of uh, prize money. I don't know if it really even hurts who's attracted to watching the game. I mean, who actually cares that much about how much the players are making from the events that they're going to? Um, and I, the only people I think that it would harm to lower the prize pools is is actually the players. But it's not like they would stop doing it. And I just feel like you know. I think if, if we got came out on the other side of this and everything went to shit, the players would take a pay cut in a heartbeat to uh, keep the health of the scene better for a longer time. So that's how I feel on that. I don't know. Um, we have, and we also have good viewership. I don't know. We, we, we stay consistent. We pull in great viewer numbers on Twitch. We have a lot of North American fans, which are highly monetizable, which is good. Um, we're not the number one, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not Fortnite number one on Twitch for the entire year. We don't have a lot of major streamers. A lot of our big streamers left to do go for other games. It's not so fun to stream CS. Not a lot of brand new content. It's mostly an esports focused game right now. Um, but you know, it's just it's kind of blows my mind that you can have like a tournament, an average tournament on a group stage day that can't keep up with Ninja Shroud Summit playing Sea of Thieves, Apex Legends, or Fortnite. You know, Apex Legends, lol. So it's it's sad. Uh, it's sad and it's weird and it's scary, but I don't think people think about it a lot. I don't even know what that means. You know, it's strange. Um, I think the only thing that offsets that is the sponsors, but even those individual streamers have sponsors. So it's just, you could imagine if you're a sponsor for a big tournament, like, well, why don't I just sponsor Ninja? Or why don't I just sponsor someone of equivalent viewership to the event I'm going to sponsor who work for a much greater company who have to feed the mouths of like hundreds of people who will probably ask for more money who can probably negotiate better. Why wouldn't I just go to the Joe down the street with his one scene with no border on his webcam and a donation goal, you know, like that, that guy probably is more bang for my buck. You know, we should be worried about that. The numbers don't lie. They're right in front of you. You know, I mean, you could say that the quality of the viewers is so important. I don't know. I haven't seen any evidence that shows that, Esports viewership is like more valuable than esports adjacent viewership, like competitors that stream other games, like individuals, like Ninja, for example, or Tifu, who's playing every he's playing Fortnite World Cups, getting you know number one in the qualifiers, still very relevant as a pro. So I don't know, man. I'd like a few more years, you know, a few extra years of anything, even if it's a few years and then some. Um, D D G N, and so the culture on that, you know. Hopefully the culture on that changes somewhat. DGN underscore CSGO asked, and thank you for the question, Satsa. Fitness and esports, the importance of fist, fitness, fitness dick in your mouth in relation to mental health, confidence, etc. How it's affected your life, those that you've met and, uh, and interacted with in and out of your career. You know, I think, uh, I do think the gym fixes everything mentally. I think a sedentary lifestyle means we need to balance that with more intense physical training. Like I, I think if you work a nine to five job, you hang out with people all day, you're standing on your feet, uh, your mind is very busy all day. Um, for people who are on the computers, your kind of mind is to yourself. You're living a life of distractions. You're not getting that physical exercise. Um, you're not you're not kind of stimulated constantly. Well, you are stimulated constantly, but not in a 360, not, not in a what's the word to de, to describe it it's a, it's a i think it's a less fulfilling kind of stimulus to 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 look at a screen choose what you look at and then veg out for a long time um and I, and i feel like it's it is important that you go to the gym uh to to balance that out you know to and then to do kind of intense physical exercise honestly not just like go for walks even though that's probably a great place to start i don't know how it's affected other people i i don't think there's evidence that like you know like look at shroud one of the most talented gamers in the world ever of all time that guy's i don't even i don't think that him getting in shape is going to make him a better gamer in fact i think that the more you see gamers get in shape the more they drift away from consistency in their games you know the less obsessed they are with their games and the more uh, the more they get involved with like fitness and being a better real life person 
then I think their eyes get too wide with that. And then they end up uh, having, they having a life balance problem where it was the imbalance. That was the reason they had so much success and that them sitting at their computer and whatever. But those are the very few exceptions. Most people are not making money like them off of what they do. Um, and I think if you're just somebody who's on Twitch watching Twitch all day, yeah, definitely get some fitness, get something um, in your life. Can't stop talking about bouldering, obviously. I think that the one point to that, just to quickly mention it, is it's kind of, it's taken over my life in a way that's like, like from the, uh, uh, from the fitness perspective that it acts as an anchor. So normally you might go to the gym and then you go to the gym, you work out and then you don't see results. And then you might not go to the gym. You go to the gym for a week and then you might not go to the gym for the next month. That happens a lot. It's happened to all of us. Uh, and you kind of wonder, well, fuck, like I really, I want to go to the gym cause I want to look different. You work out a bit, you feel good for a few days. You don't really see the improvements. You call it a day. Um, you, the motivation or whatever isn't strong enough. Even though that's not that important, discipline is where it's at. Squeeze has talked about that before. It's very true. You don't want to rely on fleeting feelings. Um, you kind of want to make decisions, whether you like them or not, whether they're whether or, and because they're good or because they're bad, and that's it. But uh, but with bouldering, it's it's gotten it's gotten me to do fitness uh, in an obsessive way to get better at bouldering because I love bouldering so much. Now, bouldering is a fun exercise. It involves a lot of pulling muscles, a lot of back, a lot of core. And so in my off time, I'm thinking about bouldering all the time, watching bouldering videos. I'm uh, hangboarding off of every door frame. I'm doing a ton of pull-ups, going to the gym three, four times a day if I have nothing to do. I'm doing stretching. I'm doing some yoga. I'm doing a lot of stuff just to get me better at bouldering. Stuff that if you did those things in isolation would be great for your life but it would be almost impossible to motivate yourself to do them just for the sake of doing them, right? Doing a stretching routine sounds easy and some days you feel like doing it and you do it. But now I think I need to be, I need, I have a goal now with how, how much I'm stretching so that when time rolls around, I go to the gym, I can actually see, apply and see the improvements. Nothing makes me happier than that right now um, outside of my online life. And so I think the fact that bouldering is this anchor has made me realize that you want an anchor for any exercise you do. You know, you want to have a clear goal. Um, and that's probably said, you know, that's a sentiment I'm echoing from every fucking fitness coach on the planet. But it's something that only makes sense to me now that I actually have found the anchor that sticks. I think it's something great. So whether that anchor is playing basketball, uh, playing fucking water polo, badminton, ping pong, anything. And then finding out what exercises make you better at that. I think that's a great way to get back into fitness. Um, and if you are, you know, if you are strong enough mentally to go to the gym simply to look good and you realize you, you can commit to that for the next year, because if you can commit to it for a year, you're probably going to stay, you're probably going to be there for the rest of your life. If you can commit to a year of the gym straight, hardcore exercise, you'll meet your goals and then some, and you'll probably be addicted, but nobody does that. So if you, if you can maybe find a different anchor, if you're that kind of person, then uh, that's what I, that's what I think will be good. Um, for my mental health, it's been fantastic. It gives me, it keeps me energized. It makes me feel good about myself. I, I look good naked now, which is a goal that I've had just to be comfortable, you know, in my own skin. I think that's a big goal. I feel like a lot of people are not there and I have more, I know I want to look even better. I don't, I don't look amazing. I want to look even better, but to just kind of be able to stand in the mirror and look comfortable, that's something I really didn't have in like high school or, or, you know, years after that. So and I didn't even realize that this was happening, to be honest. I didn't even know. I was literally going to the gym, bouldering. And then on days where I wasn't bouldering, I didn't drink too much because I knew I wanted to go bouldering the next day. I'd go home. I'd make food. I'd make sure to eat a lot that night. I was taking my supplements. I'd wake up the next day. I'd think about exercising, but I wasn't bouldering. And then all of a sudden, I'm like looking way better. I'm like, holy shit. Is this just bouldering? Is this the one? Is this the two hours a week of bouldering? Or is it like the 40 hours a week that I'm thinking about bouldering? And that's, that's one thing I, I realize has really been a game changer for me and, uh, I, I love a lot. So that's good. That's, it's good. I, I think it's great in my career. It's just, you know, it's made me more confident in everything too. So definitely get some fitness in there. There's no doubt about it. It's important for your mind. And it's really important if you're, uh, living the sedentary lifestyle, like we are go also, why is cheddar so delicious? Really? Uh, I don't really like cheddar that much i did just make a tuna pita pizza yesterday and i put cheddar on it because that would be the cheese you want to use for a tuna pita pizza but i 
normally don't really love cheddar that much. I'm more of a Havarti guy. I think Havarti over everything, over provolone. Okay, so I don't know. I'm not I'm not huge on cheddar personally, but there's a lot of foods that you know you need cheddar for. But I'm not a I'm not a huge cheese guy. I'm not very cheesy. You know what I'm saying? And thanks for the question, GGN. Exist ends. Is it possible to make a game a popular esport by simply throwing money at it? Parentheses, Epic's Fortnite. I think that if we look at Epic's Fortnite, you can't look at a game that they, it's just been money. It's, it's a lot to do with money, but I don't think that's what actually made it popular to even tie it back to uh, high viewership and low prize pools question from Statsa. If we look at how Fortnite hit the ground, they took every single one of their devs, they shut down Unreal Tournament, they shut down Paragon, they took, I think, 360 devs or something, they put them all on one game in their brand new engine in, in the competitor to PUBG, and then in a you know brand new space with a Battle Royale, and then they did massive content updates every week and haven't stopped in over a year, and because of that, have been number one on Twitch every single fucking week for the whole last of 2018 and still continuing into 2019. I think that... It's the amount of work they're putting into the game that's just showing a tremendous, uh, a tremendous returns. And now they're going into doing a lot more stuff with um, Epic's launcher. And I predict that people will be less upset about the exclusivity stuff with Epic's launcher as people start to get more familiarized with it. Just like back in the day, man, when I was when I first installed Steam, I remember how mad I was at Valve that they made it so that I had to open one point. That was like a few months for one point six. You'd open one point six from your desktop. And then they made Steam, and now you had to open Steam and then open 1.6. Nothing made me more mad at that, more mad than that. But now we look at Steam, it's a godsend. And yes, Epic's launcher is not doing anything particularly innovative, but they are a competitor, which is always good, and they're you know introducing free games and stuff. But I think that's drawing a lot more attention back to the client, back to Fortnite. And I think there's a number of things that Epic have done besides simply throwing money at the game that have resulted in uh, Fortnite success. But apart from Fortnite, I think that I, I think that simply throwing money at a game has never worked. Um, let's look at all of high res's games. Let's look at, uh, man, what's another game that like, has made a ton of money? I don't know. You know, maybe with, with phone esports, um, but I, I don't know enough about phone esports. Like, if I talk about Arena of Valor, I know it's like a simplistic ver- version of Le- League of Legends, and there's a lot of money involved, but. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Like, I can't think of an esport that's doing real well right now that is proof of that. Because of that, I guess I can't say. I, I think that you can. What makes a good esport adversely is, in my opinion, a game that is easy to learn, hard to master. A game that that connects cultures, uh, that connects countries. You know, being able to play online being able to be relatable to another thing, you know, like uh, not being a completely brand new genre, just being a better version of a game in another genre. I I think like, you know, if we look at like Rocket League, for example, it's like the perfect up and coming esport. It's, it's got no guns and I love FPS. It's my sport, but it's just not very sponsor friendly, but it's like soccer. It's very simple to watch. It's highly competitive, built to be an esport. And, you know, that's a game that I think you throw money into it and then it becomes much better. I talked about this on the last episode of Squeaks, but in the last couple of years, uh, even though a lot of people believe in Rocket League and they've actually pulled a bunch of new sponsors, their viewership has stagnated as well as their player base. Stat around 70K for the last few years. But they had so much potential to be bigger than that. And you could only assume that, like, think about if it was a company like Epic that were running it from the beginning. They might have done too much content-wise. And I heard that they're not going to take a leading role in like the direction of the game design i think they're just going to add the perfect amount of infrastructure to make sure that it's successful a lot of that does come with money and i think that that will be a reason that they can be bigger so not from the ground up you know all the best fucking esports are mods period league of legends dota counter-strike pubg every the whole genre of pubg you know everything was a mod that was made by one dude or a few dudes who weren't making any money off of another game warcraft uh you know, it's just like, it's even like uh, Dota Auto Chess about to take up mod of fucking Dota. So, and then you take a game like that, that's provably good organically, then you put money into it, then you're getting somewhere. And you need a good developer too, right? You take Bethesda, they might fuck your game up. Blizzard, they might fuck your game up. 
honestly, as a person that's saying that, I really don't think Epic fucks up esports. I think they just don't look at Fortnite as an esport. I think they look at it as a competitive game. They they say that now, but they don't say esports. I think they recognize that battle royales are not meant to be esports, in their opinion, and in, maybe in mine too. I don't know, but they can be popular to watch. I think that's the difference. I think people make themselves mad talking about Fortnite as an esport. I think the reason that Epic was so successful successful is because they don't they don't they don't use that rhetoric to describe the game at all ever. You'll never find it. Thanks for the question. Exist ends. Worry's asking here. Worry six six six. Do you? Why do you think the C nine major win wasn't a fluke? Now, I think this is you know this might be a load, loaded question if you looked at it in a vacuum. But I've obviously been very vocal about the thought that uh, I know I've talked about the major win many many times. I I I don't think I said that uh, the C nine major win wasn't a fluke. I don't think that they. I think by definition it had to had to be described like that. I think if you, even in my eyes, during and after the tournament, I don't think Skadoodle could have kept up uh, uh, his performances after. I think him retiring is not a total coincidence, even though it was after Stewie left. Um, and I think it's like literally a problem of motivation with him. Like I don't think he was as happy playing competitive games in that way. Maybe I don't know. I don't want to speak for him, but it never felt like that performance wise. You know, Shroud, same thing. Back in the day on Cloud Nine, didn't really see it, even though he was capable. And so, you know, at the at the major, if you remember, you know, Shakudo got MVP. I actually don't think he should have got MVP. Probably wasn't like the best player on Cloud Nine at that tournament. But some of those matches, he really was amazing. So it can't be described as anything else. In some sense, I just think that that's a word that's being used or has been used to denounce the accomplishment of the major win and try to make it seem as though. Cloud9 did not play well enough to deserve the major. They did not get lucky in those games. To say that they overachieved is one thing. That was in those players. They were in their top six. They were top six. Um, they won overpass, which is the most amazing part, I think. Inferno was the most amazing game, but the fact that they won overpass, a map that I think they won once out of four times versus FaZe. It's like, yeah, maybe FaZe didn't play as well as they should have. C9 got to the finals. They played insanely well. Even a FaZe who weren't playing in top tier, uh, or who weren't playing top tier Counter-Strike, whatever. I mean, that's part of the fucking point of being in the final, you know? Like, how can you... There's only so much that you can talk about with how much a team showed up if you did. And all of those rounds leading up to that point in all of the other games were just further proof that it's not as if they they got a lucky break, got to the major final, and then played a team that choked. They beat every fucking good team in the hardest bracket run possible, starting off with beating Astralis in an O2 run in the beginning, and then getting out after beating like Vega and someone else and Virtus Pro or something like that, and then going in and beating G2, uh, and then you know like having that quarter to final run. That was already amazing. You know, it was already amazing. Uh, and you cannot look at any of those games as luck in that sense. You watch those games. They played fucking incredibly well. They did tons of stuff right. They hit their shots. They were there. They showed up. And I think this this overreaching to characterize the, the run as a fluke, I think it's underhanded. I think the whole point of that is to make Cloud9 fans feel bad. I think that's the point. I don't think that uh, it's to give um, some kind of like well-thought-out analysis about like, the team and why they were or were not good. I think it's literally just to make Cloud9 fans feel bad. Uh, but if you were there watching the games, I mean, don't let anyone take that away from you. They played fucking really well, man. They played insanely well. And that was, it's not like, I think the stars aligned, you know, in the sense that all of the, everyone on the team played extremely well together. But they, they earned that shit. I don't know how else to say it. You know, like they, you watch that shit, they were fucking nuts. I can't even point to too many mistakes that were made. I think there's just this kind of thought that people have like, oh, how how could it have been done if, you know, why why would they break up right after? And I think definitely uh, Stewie probably think that, thought that they couldn't do that again. Maybe he left a little early. I actually don't know. I think, you know, Stewie, I think is the most, I think Stewie's the reason they won the major in some regards. I think it's not a coincidence. He comes on the team, they make the roster changes, they get Tim involved um, as much as I love them, they they got rid of, they got rid of Jordan, which ultimately the you know the results show. Uh, and and then Stewie ends up on Liquid, number one team in the world right now. I don't think any of this is a coincidence. I think Stewie was the the huge catalyst, and it, it probably was Rocky being on that team with Stewie. 
knowing him, being, you know, playing with him in the past, knowing what kind of person he is. But it's exactly the kind of person you want if you want to win. And I and I think that that's part of it too, a huge part of it. So whatever, man. If you're if you're Cloud9 fan, or I think if you're not a Cloud9 fan, you characterize like the like Gambit winning the major. It's like the biggest run of all time. It's like what? Like did they beat the number one team in the world in the finals? Like yeah, you can't choose who you play in the finals. That's true. But then you can't also say like that's the greatest run of all time just because they won the finals. The the finals is the most high pressure match of the tournament. The only difference between the quarter and the finals is the circumstances. So beating a team, number one team in the world in the quarters means a lot. Beating them in the finals means even more. Beating them in the group stages means less. No one would disagree with that. And yet people have a hard time seeing that beating phase in the very, in the finals, in the finals is what makes the run so much better. All the teams leading up to it, semis, quarters, et cetera, you know, pile on. But uh, unfortunately you can't pick who's in the finals, but that's, that's fucking important, man. That, that is important. The only difference between good players and great players is how well they play under pressure. That's why uh, results are so important. And results in, in a number of ways. You know, sometimes you, you, you can't have simple who doesn't have the same team as device. I totally echo that sentiment. But it gets into it gets into sketchy territory when you go that far with individual performances. Simple has two majors where he, finals where he bombed. I think he averaged like 55 ADR in the two major finals he played. You could say it's because of his team, fine. But like on it, like... You know, there's a device with like all these MVPs, all these rings. Like, I mean, what can you say, man? He's done his part. It's a team game. No one can talk about how good one teammate is versus the other, how much a teammate impacts the culture, how much the culture results in team winning more. No one talks about that. No one talks about the possibility of that. So that's that's why results on a team basis are more important. But it is that, you know, you ask lots of players, but Simple's the best player. So that's uh that's that's a conversation that's like you know there's 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 merits on both sides of it but yeah okay my, i think my fucking voice is already dying happy to talk to you guys thanks for the questions the questions were all great i'll tag you guys all on twitter i don't think we have any voicemails or at least if we do i'll save them for next week when you have squeaks you can go ahead and leave us a review on itunes and I will on the Twitter at Esports Life Pod. If you follow that, we'll get a good number of, uh, idea of how many people are listening to the pod. I'm going to pin a tweet that shows a number that you can call to leave a voicemail because that's a segment that we've brought in. The last two podcasts have voicemails from some familiar voices. So go ahead and get involved in that. And yeah, an Apple review would be fantastic for visibility. Thank you guys so much for watching. I hope this was okay. A little bit ranty, a little bit ummy. And yeah with no sponsors store.boxer.gg you can buy some merch and uh i hope you guys appreciate the podcast goodbye peace